Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about a woman who worked among the indigenous peoples of the United States. Her name is Isabel Crawford, originally from Canada. Now she's a lot of fun to talk about. She's very outspoken. She's very determined. And she was very rebellious against any forces or any people that would try to come against what the Lord was doing. So I would say not necessarily, well, not rebellious in a bad way, okay, but rebellious in a very good way. So let's go ahead and dive into the story of Isabel Crawford. So, as I mentioned, Isabel was uh, Canadian. She was born Isabel Alice Hartley Crawford on May 26, 1865 in Cheltenham, Ontario, Canada. So that gives us a little bit of context for her early years. She was born uh, shortly after the Civil War in the United States. Her parents were John and uh, Sarah Louise Hackett Crawford, and she was their last child, so she was the baby in the family. Her father was a Baptist minister, theologian, and a professor all during his lifetime. And the interesting thing is, while she was Canadian, her parents had immigrated to Canada from Scotland. So she's, I guess you might call her Scott, Scots Canadian. Now, as a baby, um, this is the, now this is going to be the first of several interesting, funny stories that Isabel tells on, tells about herself. She says, a baby, her parents handed her to a male relative. It was probably an uncle or a cousin. And, um. He was kind of nervous about holding a baby, and he looked at her, at little Isabel, and said, what are you going to do with her? And then Isabel says her parents and others would struggle with that question. What are you going to do with her? For many, many years. And you know, that's a good summary of Isabel's life. It really is. People looking at her and saying, what are we going to do with her? And she said her earliest memories included a burning desire for a pretty doll that her dad eventually did purchase for her. And um, later in life, there's a particular doll that becomes important to her, but we'll get on to that, get to that later on. Now, more about Isabel's childhood. She reported she had received many spankings, and she gives her reasons for them, telling lies and digressing from the orderly practice of Baptist churches and well-brought-up families. That tickles me. I don't know about you. That tickles me. Apparently, she was also known as the terror around town and said she didn't receive half the spankings that she actually had coming. And she said, for the most part, her mother, Sarah, was her teacher, and she was quite well qualified to be Isabella's teacher. Now, in her uh, autobiography, uh, or at least in her biography, there were quotes from her. They talked about her early education. And she said when she did attend school, she said the lessons were too long and the reviews were too short. She much preferred learning from her mother. And she said, in school, I learned enough history to know that my relatives were all well-educated and prided themselves on their blue blood. Enough arithmetic, now get this, guys, to calculate the distance when I was forbidden to be on the other side of the street 
and caught sight of my mother turning around the corner. Enough grammar to puzzle strangers who couldn't reconcile such good English with such very bad behavior. Enough music to alarm every living creature within sound. And enough physiology to know I was in perfect health. So that's her comments on her early education. Now, Isabel was born again at the age of 10. She was in one of the revival services that were being held at her father's church. And she said the altar call was given and all sinners asked to stand. And she couldn't understand why the sinners she knew about weren't standing up. Again, that tickles me. She had to wait. Uh, by the way, that's, that's when she got saved. She went ahead and went up there. She knew she was a sinner. And so she gave her heart to the Lord that day. But she had to wait to be baptized because she was so young. Uh, and she was baptized a few months before her 11th birthday. Now, here's the interesting thing. She was a kid. She was 10, 11 years old, and she immediately felt a drawing to be more active in church. And so she volunteered to teach a Sunday school class just three months after her baptism at 11 years old. And Isabel said there were two reasons why she wanted to teach Sunday school. First, she wanted to help. And second, she knew if she'd get in trouble if she went back to her old class. <laughs> So uh, she was fleeing temptation. Uh, she offered her services as an assistant to a young man who had just started a nearby class. And he told her he didn't need any teachers, but she persisted and persisted, which is something she's known for. And she offered to fill up the empty seats in his Sunday school class. Now, not knowing what else to do with this persistent child, he agreed. And she took this job as she would take every assignment she was ever given very, very seriously and proved quite good at recruiting some of the roughest boys to his Sunday school class. Knowing that many of them were more poor than her family, Isabel started making simple Christmas gifts for all of them. So get this. Born in 1865, Isabel was one of the first crafty people most, uh, one of the first crafty people I ever read about, okay? She loved crafting. I have no doubt if she were uh, alive today, you would see her at Michael's or Hobby Lobby on a regular basis buying supplies to make things, very creative things to make, creative personalized gifts. This is something that also goes on throughout her life. So by the time Isabel was 14, she was making 120 gifts a year. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? Isn't that a neat thing? That she wanted to make sure that these people knew they were loved and appreciated. Now her father, he threatened uh, to stop her Sunday school participation because her grades were falling. So apparently she was spending... Uh, more time on this than on her studies. Her dad was not happy. Remember, he's a theologian and a, a professor. And I love what she said to him. Again, this is such wisdom from uh, a 14-year-old. She said, Why, Pa, hasn't the Lord's work to be put forth? Let me, re let me restate that. My tongue slipped on that. Why, Pa, hasn't the Lord's work to be put first? ahead of everything else? Well, her dad didn't have a good answer to that.
because he knew that was true. And so he allowed Isabel to continue her activities. Okay, and by the way, I do apologize if I'm hard to understand. I'm having some serious issues with allergies right now. Okay, so let's move to the next phase in Isabel's life, the prairie school. Now, her father was a Baptist minister in Canada, and now he was a Bible school professor, hence his concern over Isabel's grades, no doubt. And he was asked to help start a new school in the prairies of Canada. Now, there was a desperate need for Baptist pastors in Canada, especially in the prairie area, but they just, people just didn't have the money to support a pastor, those that lived in the prairie. So the thought was, okay, so let's set it up where we send out pastors who know how to farm, and they'll be able to support themselves. Train a pastor who could preach and farm. Now, um... Some research online, and I found a picture of the Prairie College, and I have to state it is the most plain-looking two-story building I've ever seen. Um, and this ended up being a really rough time for Isabel, okay? So initially, John went with his older daughter and left Isabel behind with her mother. And the thing was, John had miscalculated how successful the Bible school farm could be. Now, notice it's not the Bible school. That wasn't the problem. It was the farm. Things were very, very rough there. And he finally had Isabel and her mother come out, and they were horrified when they finally arrived. Um, I love this. Isabel had been delayed arriving because of a math test which I suspect she did not enjoy. Now, they get there, and um, to give you an idea of what this is like, when Isabel arrived, the first floor of the building was dirt. Okay, no problem. The kitchen table was uh, some wooden stakes they had found and hammered into the ground and then nailed some wooden boards on them. At one point, they caught 53 frogs and 300 lizards on the first floor of the building. Now, she went from probably what was a uh, middle-class lifestyle in Canada to suddenly being thrust out on the prairie, surrounded by frogs and lizards. She said ice would form on the interior walls of the building, and to keep warm, she would sleep with her blanket over her head but when she woke up the next morning, it was frozen stiff, and she had to crackle it, basically, to get it um, off her head. Now, um, reading the account of the arrival from Isabel's journal, I will, I will be open and admit that she sounds snobbish and maybe spoiled. It was a major adjustment for her, okay? It really was. She did not grow up in that... Uh, <clears throat> style of living, it was hard. However, and this is something, again, that will show up throughout her life, wherever Isabel was needed, she would throw herself into the work wholeheartedly. It was like, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, if you want me to be surrounded by lizards and frogs and ice, I'll do it. I will do this with everything that's in me. That's what she did. And, you know, that's a good example for us. 
Isabel cleaned and cooked, did laundry, chased out lizards, chased out snakes, did everything that she could to help support her father's work. And if it needed to be done, you could count on Isabel. She might have some hesitancy at first. She might have a struggle in her heart at first, but she would do it. And that dependability is something that's very important among Christians. You know, um, as Christians, we should be dependable. So, um, I was able to find on the, uh, either on the internet or perhaps from the book there is about her life, a picture of Isabel at the time, and it shows her sitting side saddle on a, uh, a horse. She has on a very proper dress for that time period. She has a, a, a hat that matches her dress. She looks quite serious. Although in most of her pictures, when you look closely enough, you will see a face that is just full of mischievousness. So Isabel did her dead level best to help her dad and, of course, her mother make the prairie school a success. But she came down with a serious fever and ended up bedridden for about six months. Now, that must have been hard for someone as active as Isabel. Now, even though Isabel was bedridden, you know, her thing about she's determined to help wherever she's put, she still did the cooking. Someone would carry her downstairs, she would cook the meals with their help, and then they would return her to her bed. Now, one part of me wants to say, why did her parents allow that? And then the other part of me says, was she so stubborn and determined that it didn't do any good if they tried to disallow it? I lean towards the second, okay? So, they're out there, remember, they're out there in the prairies in Canada, there really wasn't a whole lot of medical help. The prairie doctor gave her large doses of quinine and kept her on a diet of milk and water. She recovered, but there was a problem. Because of the massive doses of quinine, Isabel lost most of her hearing. So she ended up hearing impaired. Now, then... There was a lot of disagreements in the Canadian Baptist Church about what was going on out there with the Prairie Bible School. There were disagreements about finances, and then there was a desire to centralize all of the theological education in Toronto, and the Baptist church leaders suddenly, without much warning, shut down the school. The family had to quickly relocate, and they didn't have the money to do it, you know, Moving cost money, whether it was in the 1880s or whether it's now. Moving costs money. They had no money to even move with. They sold almost everything they owned. And it was so bad that her dad had to pawn his minister's library. Imagine having to pawn the books that help you just imagine having to pawn your books if you're a book lover. Imagine having to pawn the very tools of your trade. So this was rough, and Isabel was about 18 at the time. So she would have been 17 or 18 when she lost her hearing. Now, whatever didn't sell immediately of their things, Isabel turned into a craft project, and then it quickly sold. Again, we see crafty Isabel. Not crafty in the sneaky way, but crafty in the arts and crafts way. So they were finally able to find a new home. They had 
they got the money together to move, and their new home was a few rooms that made up a farmer's shoe store. So it wasn't it wasn't much, but they had a new place to live, and they were still together. So now they were entering on uh, into a new part of their life. At this point, the Crawford family was seriously impoverished, and the only furniture they had came with the storefront that John had rented. He was still working as a minister, and he was struggling to try to get his sermons prepared without access to his library. Now, one of the neat things that happened is his son-in-law was able to redeem his library from the pawn shop so that he had it back, so he didn't have to worry about losing it anymore. I think that was a tremendous thing that his son-in-law did. Now, Isabel initially slept on a mattress in the floor, but eventually... Uh, they got some furniture, and she was able to sleep in a proper bed. Now, her parents had not always been impoverished, and so they were disappointed they couldn't provide her the same kind of educational opportunities that her siblings received. And so, basically, they started homeschooling her. Uh, they began her education in earnest. Her mother, Sarah, would teach her in the afternoon, and her father, John, would teach her at night. Now, even though... Isabel was kind of rebellious against school in an organized school setting. She, uh, she was not rebellious against it in an organized home setting. And it's interesting how, how some people do really well with homeschooling. And she loved those times. She really enjoyed it, and she enjoyed being under their tutelage, and she did very well. Now, this leads to another uh, fun story about Isabel. Now, um, the Baptist leadership reduced the pay of their ministers by $50 a month. And so that would be $50 in 1880s, 1890s. That would be a considerable sum today. If you could imagine all of a sudden your pay is cut by that. And this was a massive sum to the Crawfords. And they, her dad spoke up and was like, listen, we can't survive on this pay. And so they said, well, we'll send all the, all the ministers a missionary barrel. So what a missionary barrel was is that people were supposed to gather up clothing and toys and shoes and things like that, and they would put them in these barrels and send them to missionaries. So missionaries would have access to, you know, some new-to-them clothes, maybe clothes for their assistance, things like that. Well, that's how it was supposed to work. What happened is people saw it as an opportunity, opportunity to get rid of junk they didn't want anymore. They were not putting quality items in those missionary barrels. They were not putting appropriate items in there. Okay, so <laughs> it arrives. Isabel and John and Sarah, her parents, they quickly open it and they take a look at it and basically snub the contents. Now, initially, you might think, well, they're just being stuck up. Oh, no, it was bad. It was bad. I remember uh, in the book, um, there's another missionary barrel that gets into Sarah's hands, and it included someone's old hair piece. So, Isabel decided that rather than just be sad about it, she was going to have some fun. 
and she dressed started she came in and was dressing up in the various clothes and reduced her parents to laughter and then she dressed up the family dog <laughs> just you know i imagine just trying to lighten the mood and because she was always looking out for a fun time okay and i was able to find a picture of the family dog and it was a it looked like it looks kind of like a cross between a poodle and maybe some type of a retriever it had curly fur it was black it looks very serious in the picture and um so that's what she was putting some of the clothes on so that was that was their situation now her parents decided that it was time to move <coughs> they wanted to move closer to their older daughter which would free up Isabel to do more along lines of her education. So, in 1891, at the age of 26 and still extremely hearing impaired, Isabel enrolled in the Baptist Missionary Training School in Chicago, Illinois. So, they were able to get the money together to get her a ticket. She traveled from Canada to Chicago. And she graduated two years later and was excited and ready to embark on her next adventure. And her next adventure was going to be pretty cool. She would end up being uh, sent as a missionary to the Kiowa Indians. Now, I don't like the use of the term missionary to the in, uh, Native Americans because they were already here when we settled here. And so I don't know why they didn't just call it like... Uh, an evangelist but that's what her next her next mission is going to be so Isabel ends up attending missionary training school and she's there for two years and graduates when she is 26 years old uh, this was the Baptist missionary training school in Chicago Illinois so she's uh, excited she's going to receive her missionary assignment and she was hoping to go overseas, not remain on the North American continent. And she was disappointed when she found out that her missionary assignment was among the Native Americans. Now, she made a statement of exactly how she felt. I believe this is probably what she told the Lord. And it is racist. It is it's a hateful thing to say. But Isabel grew to change her mind about this so I'm going to repeat it um, again this is not at all an appropriate thing to say but she told the Lord that she didn't want to go to those dirty Indians a perception that was fueled by a lot of propaganda that went out and the thing is she is going to come to absolutely love the Indians the Native Americans that she was sent to she loves them so much that they have a hard time. Missionary board has a hard time getting her dislodged from the Native Americans. A lot of stuff goes on, as you'll find out. She ends up being buried among them in their cemetery on reservation land. So, she had been sent to the Kiowa Comanche Apache Reservation in Oklahoma. And it seems the Secretary of Foreign Missions explained that she would be working with an interpreter, as did all missionaries, to the Native Americans and added that her hearing wouldn't interfere with her work. Get this, Isabel had never thought of her hearing interfering with her work. 
that thought had never crossed her mind. She said she had never seen her deafness as being a handicap until that day. And she merely took it for granted. And that was a shock to her um, that someone would think that way. So she agreed to take on her assignment and prepared to head out to Oklahoma. As I said, once Isabel recognizes where the Lord is sending her, she's going to put 100% of herself into it. And she said she was at least familiar with the sight of Native Americans from her time in North Dakota when the local tribe would often visit the Bible school. And the other thing is she absolutely loved to ride Indian ponies. So <laughs> she's trying to find some silver lining in what she feels is a distressing set of circumstances. So their their goal was to reach, again, the... Get up the Kiowa Comanche Apache Reservation in Oklahoma. So she took a um, train to Chickasaw, Oklahoma, but then she couldn't take a train any farther. I believe she had to ride a uh, horseback. Their next destination was Anadarko. There, Isabel stayed in a hotel. You know, she always has a funny commentary on things. And she said that she slept in what felt like a coffin. She said it was a bed that sunk so far down in the middle that it legit felt like she was sleeping in a coffin. And uh, she said the town was full of Native Americans retrieving their rations from the U.S. government. And um, the chief of the Kiowa tribe where she would be working was a gentleman named Lone Wolf. And soon he arrived. Now, here's the cool thing. She didn't know who Lone Wolf was. She had seen him the day before. And when she saw him, she noticed him in a crowd outside the hotel parlor window. And she was struck by his face and how good and kind he looked out of his face. Now, isn't that interesting? And he ends up being the chief where she's going to work. And he comes to the two missionaries and he said, I'm glad you've come. Some of my people don't want you, but I do. I will help you all I can. My people will not hurt, uh, will not hurt you. I'm very very glad. That's paraphrased of what he said. So, Isabel and another young missionary arrived at Elk Creek near Hobart, Oklahoma on November 23rd of 1893. And again, that gives us some good context for where her adventures are taking place. Now, when they arrived, Lone Wolf served as their interpreter. And one week later, they held their first sewing meeting. Now, the idea of a sewing meeting may sound kind of strange, but it was a good way to get some of the ladies to attend, and then they could begin to talk to them about the Lord and about the gospel. Now, it turns out that the chief whose appeal to the Baptist church to send missionaries was Lone Wolf himself. So let's talk about Lone Wolf. There were two lone wolves. The first was a relatively famous Kiowa chief who died in 1879, but gave his name to his nephew. The older lone wolf had fought at times and sought peace at times. He died in 1879 and passed his name on to his nephew, who was also known as Lone Wolf. And that was a great honor. There, was very, uh, there had to be very distinct reasons that he would pass on his name to his nephew. Now, it was the nephew, Lone Wolf, that wanted missionaries to come to the Native American tribe. 
uh, they had been torn by so much war, poverty, and heartache that he was desperate for healing to take place. So this is Lone Wolf's speech when he um, when he arrived. And I'm going to read this as a direct quote. When the Great Spirit created the world, he divided it into two great seasons, the warm and the cold. The warm season brings life and light. The grass springs up, the birds sing, there is growth and development to fruit and joy and gladness. The cold season brings death and desolation. The grass dies, the trees are bare, the fruits are gone, the animals become weak and poor, the very water turns hard. There is no joy, no growth, no gladness. You Christian white people are like the summer. You have life and warmth and light. You have flowers and fruit, growth and knowledge. We poor wild Indians are like the winter. We have no growth, no knowledge, no joy, no gladness. Will you not share your summer with us? Will you not help us all with light and life that we may have joy and knowledge and eternal life hereafter? In quote. So, uh, I do want you to mention white people. Definitely not white people in general, because they had had their fair, sh they had, had way too many encounters with evil white people. But somewhere along the line, it uh, becomes obvious that Lone Wolf had encountered some truly Christian people. So that's, uh, that's kind of the story or background on who Lone Wolf is. So let's talk about some of her missionary activities among the um, Kiowa of Elk Creek. So her first missionary assignment was Elk Creek. She said that the men wore their hair parted in the middle with two long braids wrapped in otter skin, one braid hanging over each shoulder. Now, um, Isabel once confronted them about the confronted one of the chiefs about his long hair, suggesting he cut it. Um, I don't know what he said to her, but whatever his response was, it left her speechless, and she no longer tried to convince them to cut their long hair. Um, now, some of the Indians had adopted white ways to varying levels of success. Um, luckily, their tribe had not adopted a lot of the evilness of the uh, white ways. Now, at their first meeting, Isabel and her fellow missionaries sang hymns, but nobody came. At the second meeting, they held a prayer meeting in a woman's teepee, but only one person came. However, Isabel discovered an excellent way to reach the women. You, you know, we mentioned earlier about the sewing. So she would gather a large crowd of women by offering to teach them how to sew warm quilts. Now, it was at Elk Creek that Isabel first saw how the white man's interference in the Indian way of life had been absolutely devastating. The Kiowa had been a relatively peaceful tribe who survived through... Um, hunting buffalo, and then would use every part of the buffalo so there was nothing wasted. The white man came along and hunted the buffalo to extinction and wasted most of it. And on top of that, the white man had taken a lot of the Kiowa's land. Um, when their land was taken, the white men, including uh, the Kiowa, removed reservations 
where they were supposed the white man was supposed to teach him how to farm. The problem with that idea were many. Isabel discovered first of all that while many of the um, Indian agents, as they were called, were very honest and upright men, a lot of the people that worked under them were extremely corrupt. And uh, one example of this is they're saying, okay, you guys go grow your own food, but then they didn't provide them the food or the seed, at least not consistently, for them to be able to farm. And the men that were supposed to be teaching the Indians, the Native Americans, how to farm rarely ever showed up. How were they supposed to learn this? This was not something their tribe had done. Isabel discovers this. And remember her dad running that uh, prairie school that where they were going to teach young men how to preach and how to farm? Isabel knew how to farm, so she took it upon herself to teach the Indians how to farm, including lone wolf. And then if their plow broke, they didn't know what to do with it, so Isabel would fix it. Those crafty skills come in handy in a lot of places. And she spoke to the local Indian agent about getting them the help they needed. And she fought for the things they had been promised. She um, helped them fight for their rights. And she only gave missionary handouts to those Indians who were trying to work. But she got frustrated because a lot of the Native Americans viewed farming as women's work. So that was... Um, that was going to prove a problem. So moving on. Um, <laughs> Isabel is about to have the first of many, many run-ins with the missionary authorities. They sent Isabel on leave to visit churches and ask for offerings and create an interest in missions. Isabel... She refused to ask for money. What she did instead, and you, I love this because I think this is so very Christian, she spent a great deal of time informing people on the conditions of the Kiowa and other tribes that were being mistreated and oppressed. Now, uh, the missionary society, I think, they didn't know what they were going to do with her, so they didn't stop her. And she mentioned at one point, that the church ladies insisted she have a new dress. They just knew what she needed. She needed a new dress. And she said it involved two huge sleeves in a tiny dress. And the sleeves were so large that she would have to get off the train sideways to get out the door. And she was not pleased with that. I mean, she appreciated that they wanted to give her a new dress. But yeah, fashion. If fashion was impractical, she tended to reject it. Now, she became frustrated also at Elk Creek because there were not many Indians there and she had only won a few converts, but <clears throat> she persevered. She And this is another thing. Remember her Christmas tree and Christmas gifts that she did with her Sunday school. She continued that when she got to Elk Creek, making uh, gifts for people. Now, she found out about a nearby settlement on the reservation that had a large number of Kiowa, and no real missionary presence. At Elk Creek, they had an adult population of 40, and there was already a missionary couple there besides Isabel. So she felt like, you know, she was unnecessary there, and she wanted to go uh, where she was truly needed, and then the Lord opened a door for her to head to Saddle Mountain. And it's called Saddle Mountain because it looks exactly like a saddle. Um, you can look up pictures of it. It's a very beautiful mountain, and indeed, it is shaped like a saddle. So she spoke to uh, the local Indian agent, 
his name was Baldwin, to see what he thought. Would it be safe for her to move to Saddle Mountain? And he assured her that it would be safe and she could definitely handle roughing it. He had gotten to know her, you know, as she had spent a great deal of time with him fighting for what the uh, Native Americans had been promised. So Isabel, without talking to the missionary board, packed up her things and headed to Saddle Mountain. She said the only person that she, uh, well, the only person she asked besides the Indian agent was the Lord. And when she arrived, she was met by a sizable contingent of men, even though there were a lot of women in the tribe. And some of them greeted her and shook their hand, while others asked if she had indeed come all alone. And an honorary few asked her had she come to be scalped. <laughs> now, they were not a tribe that scalped people, so they were just playing off the prejudices that they knew existed against the Native Americans. So she heads to uh, Saddle Mountain, and one of the Kiowa leaders there wrote a letter to the Missionary Society ensuring them that Isabel was indeed safe, and they promised that she would never allow, be allowed to become cold or be hungry, and they acknowledged the sacrifice that she had made in leaving her home to help them. And so the Missionary Society voted to allow Isabel to stay at Saddle Mountain, which I think had to be the Lord because she did that without talking to them first. And you know, no doubt the missionary board was primarily men. So I see the Lord's hand in this. The Lord wanted her there at Saddle Mountain. And so they voted to let her stay as long as it was safe and prudent. They left themselves a loophole. And they sent her money for an interpreter. So she hired an interpreter. His name was Lucius. He was half Kiowa and half Mexican. And her first week had been challenging. She was trying to live in a tent. And she said when there was a thunderstorm, she would have to find better shelter. And she would come back to find out her, intent, her tent had been invaded by pigs. So she finally agreed to live in the wooden home of one of the Indian leaders and his wife. And from that time on, she, no, she struggled no more with the pigs invading. Now, remember that Isabel's hearing was severely damaged because of the excessive use of quinine when she was ill in Canada. So at one point, someone created for her a very rough mechanical hearing aid, I guess you could call it. It was uh, a bell-shaped device at one end and an earpiece at the other with a flexible tube in between. And Isabel could hear quite well if someone spoke directly into it. Now, one of the Kiowa men, noticing that she had a hearing problem, said that he had a solution for her. He would teach her the Plains Indian Sign Language. That is so cool. And so then Isabel could speak to a crowd in sign language without even needing an interpreter. Now, this had to have a big impact that she could come in among the Native Americans and speak to them. Um, if they were Plains Indians, she could speak their language through sign language. This greatly expanded the reach of her ministry and no, doubtly, no doubt impressed the Native Americans. I remember there being at one point uh, where she was to speak and she got up and began her message with, I believe it was the Lord's Prayer in uh Plains Sign Language, and the Indians, the Native Americans that were there were shocked that she knew their language. And that's a big thing as you study missionaries. It's very uh, key 
so many times to be able to speak the language of those you're working to reach. And so that was a big turning point for her. Not only did it help with her hearing problems, it helped her reach more people. Now, the Kiowa were very impressed with Isabel's bravery, and they were pleased that she didn't seem afraid of them like most of the other white people did. They confided in her that they had a desire to follow the Lord, but they had no teachers to help them. And that is a problem that remains in many areas. There are people that want to serve the Lord, but they don't have access to teaching. And, you know, it's not just teaching, but good, solid, Bible-based teaching from someone that truly knows the Lord. And that was what their need was. And before long, they gave her an Indian name. Now, I am not going to disrespect uh, the language of the Kiowa by attempting to pronounce it, but I can tell you the name they gave her. And I love this. I absolutely love this. I think this would be the highest compliment a Christian could receive. She gave us the Jesus way. Is that not the missionary call, the evangelist call, the teacher's call, in a nutshell, that we give people the Jesus way? Not our way. Not a denomination's way. Not a group of teachings way, but the Jesus way. And that's also what we should be living, the Jesus way. That's the name they gave her. Now, she did meet resistance. And if you do some research, you'll find about, find out about a group called the Ghost Dance. They believed that the
So Isabel was very busy at Saddle Mountain. And a typical day, um, she was doing everything, cleaning, washing, carrying firewood, baking bread, caring for the sick, teaching the ladies how to sew, and being crafty. Um, I love it. Um, she had started a fund for building a Baptist church at Saddle Mountain. And she started it with money she'd been given, and then she would sell quilts and add the proceeds to that fund. So we see her using her crafty skills, her crafting, uh, for her missionary work. So she was determined to succeed, and things were going pretty well, and then her entire world totally fell apart. Her mother died. And she had been to see her on leave and had cared for her, uh, and didn't find out until late mail that she received at the reservation that her mother had passed, and her heart broke into a million pieces. I get that, and I'm sure some of my listeners do too. I can tell you that my entire world fell apart when my mother's dementia got worse, and then when I thought it couldn't fall apart anymore, it fell apart even more when she passed. And it's been a hard struggle to try to build uh, my life back up. But back to the focus on Isabel. Her mother passed. She was at the reservation. She didn't find out until after it happened. And she was just heartbroken. And some of the Native American men there at uh, Saddle Mountain heard that her mother had died and they understood her grief and she stepped out of the house and a group of Indian men had gathered. I love this, what they did. Um, you know, the Bible tells us as Christians that we're to rejoice with those that rejoice and we're to weep with those that weep. We're not called upon to criticize either group, to judge either group. We are to share in both the sorrows and joys of our fellow Christians and people in general. So the Indian men had gathered outside her house, and they were wearing faded blankets on top of their clothes as a sign of their grief. One of them reached out to Isabel and pulled her head onto his shoulder and reached his other arm around her and said, Oh, great spirit, our little Jesus woman has lost her mother and her heart is all broken to pieces. Gather it together again and put it back strong. You have given her to us now and we will take the best care of her that we know how. That is all I have spoken. And Isabel, with her head on his shoulder, began to weep from the depths of her heart. And in a moment, she felt the tears of the Indian chief fall on her cheek. And she said that suddenly the tears stopped. And she let out a big sigh, and a wonderful peace and calm fell over her in answer to his prayer for her. And she said, in that moment, in that instant, a love for the Native Americans was born in her heart. A love that was not her own. She had been working. She had been trying. But it wasn't until that very moment that the Lord released his love 
through her heart. Isn't that neat? So her next mission was really getting a Baptist church built there at Saddle Mountain. So for a long while, she'd been seeking the Lord about this. And a surprise gift of $300 arrived, earmarked for the building, and Isabel approached the local elders about building a church. After a two-hour discussion that she had with them, they agreed. Now, I like that she was having a discussion with the local elders. She didn't say, I'm the white person, I'm the missionary, I say we do this. No, she wasn't going to do it without their approval and them being a part of the process. Now, they said that soon the white man would come to take their lands, and they wanted Jesus' brand on it. I like that. Now, she asked about whether there would be resistance from the ghost dancers. Remember, we talked about that a while ago. That was sort of a revolutionary group of uh, Native Americans. And they said that they're, I, I love this again, they, they had, the people she were, was working with had such a deep wisdom and insight, and they truly, truly gained insight from the Holy Spirit that we should all endeavor to have. They said the opposition of the ghost dancers, if it happened, would be like the wind. It would blow, blow against them, be felt, and then be gone. And that goes along perfectly with where the Jesus, in the Bible, Jesus said that he would build his church and the very gates of hell would not prevail against it. So Isabel then insisted they build the church and aid in raising funds. It had to be their church. She was not going to um, make all the arrangements. Again, she brought them into the process. She wasn't going to do it without their approval. And they cooperated. And that church still stands. You can go on the internet and look up pictures of it. Okay? So the Saddle Mountain Baptist Church is still standing. So, continuing on. Uh, let me get back to my spot in my notes. So, the fundraising for the church seemed kind of slow. So, Isabel, using her crafty talents, decided to teach the Kiowa how to paint china. And she also realized that many of the older men there in the uh, community just didn't have good enough health to handle farming. So you might, might remember earlier where she was only giving missionary um, assistance to the uh, Kiowa that were working. After she had been there a while, she realized not all of them had the necessary health to work and to try. And so she thought, we'll come up with another way for them to earn money. And so they needed an alternate form of income. So to that end, she obtained a kiln and started to teach them about pottery and, again, uh, painting china, decorating china. So, when it came time to build the church initially, the U.S. government allotted them 160 acres for the church, and then the government tried to whittle it down to 40. Some things just never change. Isabel took a stand against this, and it remained at 160 acres. And then when the area was opened up for settlers... They had some difficulty preventing some of the white settlers from staking a claim to the land. Now, again, this is something about Isabel that I absolutely love. Isabel said she protected their land, their church land, 
with a large stick and a revolver that was not a Winchester. <laughs> she made it very clear it was not a Winchester. So imagine this tiny gal out here with a revolver and a Winchester. And as the uh, Kiowa had stated, they wanted Jesus brand on it. She's out there. She's not letting those settlers lay a claim to the land that had been promised to the Native Americans. So, a dispute arose whether the church should be made of stone or wood. The uh, Native Americans wanted it to be made of wood, but Isabel, right or wrong, suspected they just didn't want to do the work involved with the stone. So she pushed for a stone church, and she pushed, and she pushed, and she almost won when they confronted her about it. And they said, if you and the missionary board build this church your way, if it's built in the way that you think it should be built, others will say that the missionary board built the church and not the Indians. And Isabel understood where they were coming from. And she relented, and they built the church the way they wanted it. The church was very beautifully built from lumber. And like I said, that church is still standing. Okay? So next, they need a pastor for this church. And Isabel was performing many of the roles of the pastor, but was not comfortable in doing so, no doubt in part because of the Baptist church's stand on women in ministry. Now, her interpreter, Lucian, Remember, he is uh, the half-Mexican, half-Kiowa interpreter. He was not trained in the ministry, although he undoubtedly seemed called. And so the Kiowa said, well, why don't you train him? But she didn't feel comfortable in doing that, again, because of uh, the denomination in which she was raised. And this is going to lead to a lot of trouble for Isabel. But the thing is, Isabel can handle any kind of trouble the missionary board throws her away. So... The Saddle Mountain Baptist Church congregation acknowledged that they needed to partake in Holy Communion. However, without a pastor, how could they? They were afraid of having a white pastor with very good reason, so the missionary board agreed to send out a licensed minister just to handle the communion service. The problem is, the minister that was supposed to serve communion rarely showed up, and if he wasn't coming, he didn't always send word. Now, Isabel felt that it was inherently wrong to deny communion to the Christian Kiowa. And so she prayed. And she carefully studied the scriptures herself and decided communion belongs to the church and not to the denomination's governing board. And so she felt the church should vote on a deacon or elder who would serve communion. And the congregation voted, and not surprisingly, they selected Lucian. But then, of course, rumors began to spread that Isabel had served communion herself. And so this caused a major uproar at missionary headquarters. Now, she didn't. She felt like it was the responsibility of a deacon or elder of the church to serve communion. And... Uh, Isabel ended up being on furlough, and she had worked so hard that she was physically ill, bordering on exhaustion, and all this dissension and false accusations against her made her physically ill. So they sent her out on a circuit to speak about missions. And I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be open with this. Reading this 
I really think they were trying to force her out of the missionary society. They knew she was sick. They knew she was exhausted, and they sent her out on a uh, extremely rough itinerary. So what do I mean extremely rough? One month alone, Isabel slept in 28 different beds and spoke over 100 times in one month while she's sick, while she's bordering on exhaustion. If that doesn't sound like someone trying to force her out of the ministry, I don't know. Her health was going to break, and she pleaded with the mission board to assign her a more reasonable itinerary. They did not. And Isabel, being Isabel, she forged ahead until one day she completely collapsed. Now, they had been unsuccessful in forcing her out. So they assigned her, once she got uh, better, they assigned her to working among Native Americans again. This time, it involved four different reservations in the New York State area. And she said things were very different there than it was among the Kiowa. Their attitude towards Christianity was significantly different. And she said it seemed they had absorbed all the worst of white culture and they hadn't picked up anything good from it. However, uh, the Native Americans there were still cooperative and appreciative of her work. It wasn't the Kiowa that she loved, but she felt she had no choice. Now, remember, even if she doesn't like something that's being done, she would much rather go back to the Kiowa. She's going to throw everything into doing what she feels is the Lord's will. So at one of the reservations, they had raised the funds for their own church, and she was delighted, and she, um, she helped them to paint it. There are pictures in one of the books about her of her helping to paint the church. Here she is in a dress on a ladder up about 8 or 10 feet, dress, straw hat. Her dress is covered in paint, and she did not enjoy painting. She did not enjoy it at all. And when the painting was finished, she ceremoniously burned the dress she had been working in. That was enough painting. The painting she liked to do was for craft, not painting the exterior of buildings. <laughs> but again, she did it. An attempt was made to take the church away from the Baptist Indians and give it to the Presbyterian Indians. It did not succeed, no doubt because of the influence of Isabel. Now, <laughs> Isabel still had that mischievous streak that she'd had as a child. When we get saved, the Lord doesn't change our inherent personality in that sense and again I said if you look at a lot of pictures of Isabel you can look some of them up online you will see a woman that has the all the signs of mischievousness in her face so one Christmas uh, Isabel had received a missionary barrel remember I told you missionary barrels were going to come up again <laughs> and so what she did is she sent a small tomahawk with a scalp she had made from a hairpiece in the missionary barrel, and she sent it as a gift to one of the men that had forced her hand in leaving Saddle Mountain. She sent them a scalp and a tomahawk, guys. And <laughs> that, to me, that is hilarious. That is very creative. <laughs> she got her point across, I'm sure. <laughs> that would not be something you would think a missionary would do, but hey. Isabel was her own missionary. Uh, one missionary 
uh, leader who had always preached... Let me get that sentence started over again. One missionary leader who had always preached contentment in adjusting to your situation had an interesting visit with Isabel. Um, I think she tried to make his visit as unpleasant as possible, um, testing his theory on contentment. And she was the bane of many a publisher's existence as she was writing um, books about what had gone on, books about her <clears throat> missionary work. Now, years before, Isabel had been offered an annual raise, and she turned it down, saying she had more than enough. However, some years later in New York, she did need some additional income. And so help me if the missionary board did not refuse her request. And then, and then the communion issue came up again. At that time, she did do what she had been accused of, but there was no one to tell. <laughs> and later on, a young minister was assigned to pastor the Red House Church and was horrified to hear how she had been treated by the missionary board. When he was there and he began to interact with this woman, he realized how much she had been mistreated. And he defended her, and the truth finally came out about a letter she was supposed to have written that she never did write. So, that's some of her adventures, some more of her adventures in missionary. Now, um, while she was still at Saddle Mountain, someone gave her a beautiful porcelain doll. You can look up pictures of her with her with her beautiful porcelain doll. It's very not a very large doll, um, certainly not baby-sized doll. And um, eventually she had an opportunity to get some real rest on a cruise, and she started making clothes for her doll. She said the doll was the, uh, what she, sh let me get this sentence started again, I'm sorry. She said it was the doll she should have had as a ch for a child, okay? So this was her quote-unquote baby, and she named it Palestine, or I'm sorry, uh, yes, Palestine, and called it Pal for short. So Isabel had been working long and hard in the missionary field. And as often happens, her health began to break. And so one day she was walking along the street and slipped on ice and felt a crunch, guys. And she kept trying to walk. I can't say anything because I know people like that, people with me. Eventually, she hailed a cab and went to the doctor, and they told her, oh, it's just a minor fracture. But it wasn't. She ended up um, going to the Mayo Clinic. Now, the Mayo Clinic offered a 50% discount for missionaries. And so they said, yeah, this is not a minor fracture. You're going to need surgery. And so... Um, you can find uh, pictures of Isabel um, sitting in a wheelchair, still smiling, sitting on the steps of a house with some crutches in front of her, still smiling. But that doesn't mean it was all easy. She went through torture as they uh, used traction on her broken leg. Um, they hung weights on the end of her leg, and they were careless in how they adjusted it. I cannot imagine how bad that must have hurt. And they finally realized that no matter what they did, the bones were simply not knitting together again. And even after being treated at the Mayo Clinic, it seemed that Isabel would be destined for a life on crutches. 
So here's what Isabel, with her fun sense of humor, had to say about it. I may never walk again, but I know that my stockings will run. <laughs> if you've ever um, owned a pair of pantyhose or you have, uh, you know, love ones, friends that had pantyhose, you know what a big deal running is. So she knew that even if she didn't walk again, her stockings would run. <laughs> now, this did not stop Isabel one bit, determined as she was, it just slowed her down some. Now, this is something that happens real often. Some people tried to tell her that the only way the Lord could get her to rest was to break her leg. Isabel said she strongly believed the Lord may have allowed it, but she did not believe the Lord had sent it. Missionary Amy Carmichael would tell you that pain is not the secret to rest. Okay? She began, uh, Isabel began to think about having one place to live and working from there. And she thought the missionary society would help her make this a reality, only to discover they were trying to force her out once again. In a typical fashion, Isabel called their hand on it. There is nothing unchristian with being very straightforward. If someone's trying to take advantage of you or someone is oppressing others, there is nothing unchristian in speaking out against it. Now, she didn't like the idea of retiring from missionary work, but it seemed like she didn't have a choice. Now, there was a lot of hostility towards Isabel. This is what one minister had to say. If I had final authority to do so, I would say to the women's society that they must keep Miss Crawford away from that field, Saddle Creek, and prevent her from interfering there. Rude hateful guys she had done so much there and the lord had done so much for her there some say that there are a lot of these hostile attitudes toward isabel was because she was a woman and one author in particular felt that men were angry that she had successfully founded a church there at saddle mountain they did not like her strong opinions they did not like her independence, and they did not like her strong support for the rights of Native Americans. Well, I'll tell you what. If you get rejected for things like that, I'd say that rejection is a compliment. It's kind of like saying, I see, I see what kind of people you support, and your rejection, I'm flattered. So that's why they didn't like her. Well, needless to say, that's that's hurtful. We can act like, you know, oh, I'm just going to let it roll off. I'm not going to pay any attention to it. But those things do hurt. So Isabel asked for permission to return to Saddle Mountain for her retirement. The missionary board refused to give their approval. Shocking. And Isabel was very disappointed. And that's when she officially resigned and retired from missionary work. And she felt that for the second time, the missionary board had put a halt to what the Lord had intended for her to do. So she retired in 1929 to Grimsby, Ontario, Canada. And it seemed that it wasn't until after her retirement that Isabel was able to have her own Christmas in her own home. By this time, she had lost many family members, including her beloved sister and many friends that had stood with her. And she said, I had... 
had made up my mind to stand the shock of my sister's death like a Christian, but the physical gave way. And it broke her heart. Now, let's talk a little bit about what her retirement was like. They have a picture of her office, which is beautifully decorated with in, uh, Native American uh, crafts. There is a genuine real-life dream catcher hung. There's just beautiful things there. And books, of course, there's books. And by this time... Um, she was uh, able to have an electronic hearing device, kind of like a hearing aid, which allowed her to enjoy sermons and lectures again. And she continued to stay busy lecturing and speaking at Christian meetings. And even though the missionary board had basically turned her out, the Christians still had a demand for her. So she was very much in demand at lecturing and speaking. And this no doubt brought in income for her and allowed her to continue to be an influence for good in the church and an influence for the good of Native Americans. Now, this is cute, okay? She's getting to be an older woman by now, and she almost got thrown in jail. She had accidentally violated a blackout order during World War II, and she was delighted at the thought of being thrown in jail. I love that about her. I think she had to be one fun lady. So, um, there's pictures of her after she got to be older. She um, has uh, her hair curly. She has on a dress with um, uh, a Native American-style necklace. There's a picture of some gentlemen, no doubt relatives of hers, holding her up. Remember, she can't, um, she can't walk without a crutch. She had difficulty getting around. There's a cute picture of some gentlemen holding her up, and she is just beaming with mischievousness as usual. So... Isabel's legs, they got worse, and she began to have trouble with her hip, and then she had a hemorrhage in the left eye, and that left her with very little eyesight, but in true Isabel fashion, that only slowed her down, it didn't stop her, and she made a will leaving her earthly goods and money to her niece, and stating that she wanted to be buried at the Kiowa Cemetery. That day, when she had lost her mother and her heart was broken, and some of the men met her, and that one chief put his arms around her and prayed for her, that's when she truly, truly became Kiowa. And she had requested, this is so sweet, her epitaph was to be, I dwell among mine own people. And so she passed away at 94 years old and was buried in the Kiowa Cemetery at Saddle, uh, Saddle Mountain. And her uh, headstone says, I dwell among mine own people. So that's the story of Isabel. Absolutely love it. I do. Um, it's so very encouraging. And I liked when she hit major obstacles that could have stopped her she only allowed them to slow her down. And I love that she stood up for the rights of others. Even when it would put her in disfavor with her, uh, with the missionary society and such, she stood up for the rights of others. She persevered. She didn't take things uh, 
laying down, she fought. And I think that's an excellent, excellent role model for us. And also the prayer from the uh, Indian chief, the uh, Kiowa chief, talking about our heart being broken in a million pieces and praying that the Lord would heal it together, knit it back together, and make it even stronger. I think there are many of us that perhaps we need to pray that prayer for ourselves, that we have suffered loss. It doesn't have to mean that someone died. Whatever that loss is, that's what the Lord wants to do for us. He wants to heal. The Bible says he heals the broken in heart and bindeth up all their wounds. And he wants to do that for us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that same Jesus that answered that prayer so that Isabel could go on after such a horrible heartbreak, that same Jesus is waiting to do that for us. And so that's what I wanted to share with you about Isabel Crawford. Again, there's... Um, there are books about her. You can do research about her online. She was an awesome woman of God, full of mischief, full of determination, and full of life. So thank you for listening. I hope this podcast has spoken to you or blessed you in some way. Thank you.